As you know, the On Farm podcast is brought to you by the team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. And I just wanted to remind you about a new initiative that's happening here called On Record. On Record is a project to preserve voices, stories and memories for the future with your very own audio recording. So we're recording memories of rural life. We're travelling around Scotland, working with families and organisations to capture precious voices of family members or staff members or long-serving office bearers to preserve those for posterity and sometimes for historical value. So if you think this project is something that you'd like to be involved in and maybe you have a grandparent or a parent that you'd like to capture on audio while you can, please do get in touch. You can find out more at onrecordmemories.co.uk. Hello and welcome to On Farm. This is Anna here and I'm back for the second of three episodes celebrating the success of the Scottish Land and Estates Helping It Happen Awards. Coming up, we have three more of the winners from 2022 to tell us their inspiring stories. Maybe it will inspire you to consider putting in your own entry for the 2023 awards, which we'll tell you about later. It's great recognition for the full team, a great platform for us to be able to shout about some of the projects that we're working on. It's given us a platform to talk about our work, to do knowledge transfer. We need people to know about it. We need to keep funding it as well. I think it's really important when you do something and you've got a chance to kind of celebrate it. So, you know, it's, it's, it's fantastic to see that recognition there, you know. Helping It Happen has been set up to celebrate and encourage all things rural. So that might be uh, business innovation, it might be conservation, it might be community, it might be education, a whole host of different rural uh, activities. And it's supported by sponsors Nature Scott as well as a host of other sponsors. And collaboration and partnership is a big part of what the awards value. We will hear later on from Chief Executive of Scottish Land and Estates, Sarah Jane Lang. But first, let's bring in this week's three award winners. I'm Rory Christie. I'm a, I'm a dairy farmer down in the, the Mackers of uh, South West Scotland. And uh, I am, I'll take the credit for being the founder of the Fast Breeders Project. A collaboration between four farmers and SRUC and SOS. I'm Jess Hartwell, Marketing Director at Skyskins. In, we're based in Waternish on the Isle of Skye. We are the last uh, commercially producing sheepskin tannery in Scotland. And I'm busy with really everything through the business. We all do a little bit of everything being a small family business. Hello, my name is Diggy Baird. I'm the Chief Executive for Outdoor Access Trust for Scotland. Involved in a lot of work uh, dealing with outdoors access and to the initiatives that were recognised with the Helping Hearten Awards uh, were very close to my heart. One of the Ferry Pools uh, facility and I worked on there and the successes that had and also the Mountains and the People project um, which was repairing mountain paths, training and volunteering in both the national parks in Scotland. Now, Doogie, you are effectively representing two winning projects, so I'm hoping to get you onto another podcast wearing another hat. But if you're happy to wear the fairy pools hat, yeah, today, no, that's all I wanted. To um, then that would be fantastic. So, yeah, listeners will become familiar with your voice if if we get you onto another pod as well. Jess, could you just tell us a little bit more about Sky Skins, what you do? why you do it, what you love about it, some of the challenges you face. Um, so Skyskins, I mentioned, we're a family business. So my mum and dad set up the business. This is our 40th anniversary year, so some time ago. In the 80s, my parents were crofting uh, as well as being teachers. 
they were being encouraged to diversify uh, crofters at that point. So they had a little bit of a conversation about what could be done uh, in addition to sort of rearing the sheep, the black-faced sheep that we had then on the croft. And one of the things that became apparent through through chatting was that obviously the sheep were being reared for their for meat, but that the lambskins at that point, the sheepskins in those days, were actually being sent to landfill on the island. So they thought, oh, we could do something better than that. And my dad had a friend who was in the um, tanning industry that advised him a little bit. And uh, they came up with a plan, I suppose, to set up and develop a tannery here in Waternish. So when they set up all those years ago, I think people thought they were completely crazy because we're Waternish is, as I was saying earlier, quite far away from what, well, we now have a bridge. Back then it was a ferry. I think people generally thought it was completely bonkers to set up a business out in the rural sticks of Waternish, but they've actually proven everyone wrong and it's going quite well. Um, yeah. And so fast forward, and I, I certainly don't want to skip over all of the hard work that your mum and dad put in. Uh, fast forward, your 40th anniversary this year, which is an amazing achievement. What does a modern Sky Skins look like? What, how do you sell your produce? And you know, what are some of the challenges that you're facing in, in 2023? Obviously, when we started, um, the tannery was set up originally. So it was all about the craft, how to produce the sheepskins. I have to say that part of the business hasn't changed dramatically since we set up. We sourced, well, mum and dad sourced machinery, sort of 1920s, 30s style machinery uh, from Northampton area which was all quite compatible with the sheepskin tanning process. The other reason for sourcing sort of old-fashioned machinery is that it was low-tech, so it didn't require a lot of maintenance, and that's quite important when you live far away from centres of expertise, I guess. So we still use all the same machinery. We're still That's very much still the heart of our business, the tannery, and um, we still feel very rooted sort of in our landscape here in that you know we're still sourcing lambskins from the area. We don't have an abattoir on the island. Our closest abattoir is Dingwall, so that's where we go to um, source the majority of our sheepskin. We're developing that though, and I'll come on to that. In the last uh, sort of five five years or so, we've had quite a lot of development here in our terms. So we've still got our showroom, which is situated above our working tannery. We're a five-star visitor attraction here in Washington, so we're offering people a guided educational tour. We also have our yurt cafe. So we housed a cafe in a yurt that was in its sixth sixth year I think this year so that's a seasonal thing because obviously the high winds that come rattle through here in the winter um, don't agree with the yurt so we're we're summer based for that but we also have another shop now in Portree which serves as sort of another um, signpost for our main visitor attraction here in Waternish but we also it's sort of a bijou skyskins experience there so you you can have coffee and cake and enjoy it looking over the coolins but also see a lovely selection of what we do and we've got a live link there through to our tannery so um, oh, brilliant. Yeah, so, tech so you can helps. see what's going on. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And then obviously we sell online as well. So that's um, a key channel for us uh, being based up here in the northwest of Sky. So mm-hmm. and it also helps us extend our season and office, you know, full time, uh, well, year round posts. Um, we have a lot of part time workers, but year round posts for people because we're really busy through the through the full 12 months with that as well. 
So being, you know, a business that's, you know, so consumer focused must be important for you to have recognition either through, as you've mentioned, being a five star visitor attraction or through the ability to be recognized through awards for whether that's production or whether that's, you know, overall innovation business. And I guess that brings us on to the Helping Helping It Happen Awards. You know, what made you apply for those and having succeeded and, and come away with the amazing trophy? What has that kind of meant to, to Sky Skins as a business? Yeah, it's we we are a small business, as I've mentioned. So we, we have limited uh, time to do extra things beyond keeping the runnings of the business going. I suppose most people are in the same boat. So we are selective about um, if we were to enter an award, we, we, we're quite we pick and choose. We like to helping it happen awards because we felt it was would potentially be good recognition of what we're doing. We are rural-based. We applied for the Rural Business Award and we're lucky enough to come away with the trophy. And I think there's real value in even just submitting an application to, to the award, you know, taking the time out to gather and collate and articulate your wins or achievements as a business. Something you probably would probably possibly don't do enough of. Um, it also helps, I think, feed into our strategy going forward. Because when you sit down and put everything together, you think, well, you know, what, what else would tie in with that? And you, you look sort of at a broader, you know, in the broader business context. Yeah, having come away with that award, it's been fantastic. We've had, it's a great platform for us to be able to reach out to um, potential customers, um, but also to meet other like-minded businesses as well. We do a lot of collaborative work, um, a lot with other businesses on the island but it, it was really great to um, have the opportunity to to meet other like-minded people at, at the awards as well good well i'm pleased to hear it <laughs> uh doogie i'll come to you next if that's okay as because uh, we're talking here about a, another sky collaboration effectively you're representing the the a project um at the fairy pools can you tell us a bit about that project and and again you know how uh it's connected to the award and and what that has meant for the project and i suppose uh, the knock-on effect on on Sky as an island, perhaps. Oh, exactly. I'll give you a bit of context and sort of how, how we yeah. came about as an organisation, just very briefly. That would be great. Uh, Thank it'd, you. It'd be useful. Um, we were formed in 1998 in D side. Essentially, it's all the car parking problem in Royal D side. Um, okay, people, right. Yeah, yeah. people uh, blocking the road there, and, and uh, mountain rescue can get in and out, deliveries can get in and out, so on and so forth. You know, the, the estate, Nature Scott, as they now are, and, and the council kind of got together and thought the best way to facilitate this was putting a trust together that could develop that car park and through that car park generate a bit of income that could be used to improve access infrastructure in the area. So that was really kind of genesis where we were coming from. It's a really interesting model, I think, um, where you're, you're sort of providing a kind of car parking service for folks which solves problems but at the same time it's generating a kind of positive revenue that can then be reutilized the last time i did the figures i think i think we've raised over 20 million quids worth of access infrastructure since 1998 kind of both national parks sky places like this um you know so it's the payback on it can be can be can be really really good um and it, it provides a sort of positive source of income while solving a problem so that's where we're really coming from sky's had uh, very specific problems that have kind of mm. um, kind of come to the fore in the last probably 10 years 
the fairy pool's usage. And it's, I think it's to do with social media, really, as far as I can see, social media-driven uh, visits to very small rural places. If you go to the fairy pools, nobody called them the fairy pools. It's Corrie McCreation. Somebody mm. came up with the name, and it, it, it grabbed people's imagination. But it's down a single-track road with a very small community. And, and of course, the road, the infrastructure designed to, to fit that very small community. It's not designed to fit mass tourism. So, you know, I think the use, going back to 2005, there's about 13,000 people a year would go up the ferry pools. There's a people counter there. And by the time we got involved, that was up to 86,000. And then mm. the, the year after we got involved just revisiting the plans, that had gone up to 140,000. And now it's at 200,000. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. So the impact on the, on, on the community and on the environment was horrendous. Um, you had people parking up and down both sides, totally trashing the roads. Folk can get in and out, mm. businesses can get their deliveries, emergency services can get in and out, people can get, you know, just an absolute mess. And I think that there's, there's a lot of places like, like this in Scotland, but I think Sky's particularly, it's mm. a, you know, particularly got that problem in quite a number of locations. The difficulty being, of course, everyone's going to see the fairy pools, which is on one of the big, biggest private estates on the land, but yet the parking at that time was on a forestry road on the other side of the road. Now, the forestry only own that land to grow trees. They have, yeah. they don't have a, a fairy pools facility. And, of course, the council are trying to kind of do what they can, but, but um, not really a solution there to these problems. So if you've got blockages, bad parking, deterioration on the roads, and the last bit... I, I, you just got to come out. I'm sorry to say, but a uh, but uh, you know toileting. You know people, mm. mass amounts of people, no facilities. So so um, you know pretty nasty stuff out there. So that, that was the problem. It was a growing problem, and I think been quite a big outcry about it. With nobody really able to take uh, take the lead on it. So the Mingus Community Hall Association eventually decided that it would, and they kind of collaborated with us uh, to see if we could find a solution. Um, and I think it's really interesting because it touches on a lot of different things that are going on at the moment. We use the community asset transfer uh, legislation, which is uh, allows public land if it's in if it's in the public interest to be transferred to community groups. So okay, it's community yeah. asset transfer of the forestry land where we could build a car park to transfer mm-hmm. that over to the community, and then they've rented it to us on condition that we build a car park, a big a big enough I car see. park and yeah. toilet, mm-hmm. um, in return for a twenty year lease. That's that's basically the deal. I think it's a very interesting one. Then you've got the the um, problems of trying to build a facility off grid for two hundred thousand people in Sky. Um, initially, the drawings I picked up had a had a composting loo, which wouldn't have worked for I don't think even one day um, mm. on that level of usage. So I kind of started from the ground up, a practical person at heart. We put in a processing tank, and it, it had to double part way through the project, whereas we realised that we had to. They had to provide for 200,000 people, not oh, 100,000 people. Very interesting, quite difficult project to get electricity in, to get a signal in, to get the thing up and working. But, um, I, you know, a very difficult project to do, but I think it's been quite innovative in in the way it's engaged, but also in, 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 in the outcomes from it. So... Now the car park, we built the car park first and then a loose second, and they're all working. Actually, <laughs> Clarchester system works perfectly. It's a, it's a real, it's a real uh, innovation. It really is. What you've got at the end is a new facility, so the roads aren't blocked. All the poos where it needs to be, which is in the, mm-hmm. <laughs> all the nasties are there. Um, we've got two full-time members of staff now employed at that wow. car park, a right. manager and, and a supervisor. And we also employ up to half a dozen seasonal workers every year there. So it's it's an employer. The community uh, get rent from us 
every year, and they use that to. Um, I think at the moment they're using it to run a, a sort of cost of living crisis fund oh, for folk okay, in the wow. Manish area, yeah. and also a food bank. So it's generating that community rent, and from our point of view, it's it's generating a surplus that we are then able to put into the kind of access infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So of course we solved the road, we solved the car park, we solved the, the nasty poo and that. You know, the next thing to do is to go to the sites themselves and try and find a solution to because two hundred thousand people on these kind of fragile. You know, usually triple SI sky sites, it causes an awful lot of environmental damage. So we're we're nearly at the end of a, of a, of a we, we put our money into that to create a sort of one million pound project to repair the paths and provide bridges and get habitat restoration, not just at the ferry pools but also at Store and Quarang, which are two other equally busy places on Sky that have exactly the same problems. You know, out of a bad thing, I suppose. There's there's a lot of good things coming. So it comes a kind of upward spiral. Has there been a benefit to being recognised for for the hard work? Um, I mean, I suppose one question might be, you know, d- d- the more awareness we raise, the more people visit, and the more pressure is put on the project itself. You know, has there been, in your eyes, a benefit to to being recognised in in awards like these? Oh, for sure. And I know, I think it creates a, a pilot, a template. There's many more sites. Yeah. Scotland. I'm, I'm working on two at the moment, but we're not the only people who could do this. You know, folk, folk, folk could get together with other collaborations, but it just shows how it could be done. And I think the Helping It Happen Award really puts it out there, and it, it certainly gets it, it noticed, particularly in the land sector. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I'm, I'm almost feeling partly guilty and responsible here because um, I am a lover of wild swimming, and I, I spend quite a lot of my weekends seeking out, you know, new and, and exciting and rural spots. And you do, even on a very small scale, you do sometimes see the damage that um, access is doing to some of these sites. So I, I think the more infrastructure and collaboration that can take place to, to, to solve the problems, I think it's fantastic. And what I love about this podcast in general, but what I also love in particular about the Helping It Happen Awards is the, the variety that we've got here. You know, we've talked about a wonderful way in which, you know, products been saved from landfill in, in the case of Skyskins. You know, we're talking about tourism and the, the vital importance of it, but the fact that it needs to be managed, collaboration. And, and that, you know, that's all fantastic. And then we're about to now talk to Rory about uh, dairy cattle and, and genetics. You know, there, there's such a variety just in this one conversation, but it, what it does is pinpoint everything that goes on in rural Scotland and how creative and innovative people are and how that whenever there's you know even if there's a problem we're finding ways to solve it and I guess that's that's now coming to you Rory if that's okay can can you tell us about fast breeders who you are and and I suppose just as importantly what it is that you're trying to achieve and then we'll come on after to talk about the, the award and how that's relevant I will in a minute, but I've got some questions for Doogie, if that's okay. Oh, go for it, yes. So Doogie, how big does a car park have to be for 200,000 people? Well, we pitched at 148, but I've just had to tarmac it again. The surface wore out in four years. <laughs> the, gravel, the gravel. So we've got 177 spaces now, which is as big as we can get into that space. Now, there's a big problem we have, Rory. We, there's times we've had to we've had to close that car park when it's over full, and I think I'm hoping the extra 20 spaces will will, will make that not need to happen. But there's an issue there. Do we keep on making the car park bigger and bigger and bigger? Or do we try and find different ways to kind of manage the way that the, the, the tourism sort of manages itself? And one of the things we I've noted, one of the things we're doing with the NCHF project, working through Sky Connect primarily, is creating an app where folk can kind of almost see how busy 
Oh, brilliant idea. Yes. Almost like your Disney fairground rides. You know, you can kind of say... How long's the queue? Maybe maybe go there at four o'clock, you know? It it would allow folk to maybe, you know, to go somewhere else, maybe to go into Portree, to go to the distillery in the middle of the day, because that's... Go to Sky Skins. Sky Skins, of course. (laughs) Absolutely. But but rather than everybody congregating at the same time at the same place between 11 and 2, you know... Which, brilliant! Yeah. That's a brilliant idea. It's greatly positive, you know. I'm I'm also chair of SOS, which is a organisation that helps people collaborate within the food chain, within farming. And this is a collaborative solution. It's excellent. You're looking for more solutions, right? Because actual fact, if you do that app, and it does send people up to Sky Skins exactly. while they wait to get in their car park, you go on and on. But surely this model needs to be taken out. And we hear regularly in the press about the. The success of the Northwest 500, but yet it's overrun with people, and there's an unmanaged. It's an unmanaged success. So this gets taken on again. As and I, and I know um, through work with SOS, we have a, um, a. We're trying to get a solution in the Pentlands, you know. So there are people all over the place with access issues, and it's going to get on become more and more. So. I would advocate, you know, we need to talk and, and, and we need to promote what you've done because it sounds, without understanding it properly, a really good solution that could be rolled out right across Scotland. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think so. I think I think so. It, you know, at the moment we're just picking up and doing what we can do. I've got a project developing at Stark Poly and another one, you know, at Benaglow, which is near, nearly finished. They're all different scales and sizes. But, I mean, our view is not... Too many, too many people going to the countryside surely can't be the problem. It's a lack of infrastructure, you know. That's the problem, you know. You were talking about how to, you know, if tourism builds and builds there at the ferry pools, and obviously it is a slightly contentious topic, tourism on Sky sometimes. We've got this sort of big five sites that everybody likes to visit, driven possibly by social media, as Doogie was re- referring to. But as it builds, you know, is a park and ride type option a possibility for, for somewhere like the ferry pools? dependent on sourcing a piece of land uh, off-site, but, you know, with that opportunity to educate people on their way to the pools about responsible tourism and slow tourism and these these things that are important. Uh, yeah, it was, it was trialled last year. The council put one together with Stagecoach and, um, they, you know, they, they kind of do a drop-in, drop-off thing. You know, kind of anecdotally, it was very undersubscribed and I, I think that tends to be the case until people are kind of reassured, you know, that they're maybe going to get back again, you know, that buses down those roads can cause problems too because they're, they're quite big and the roads are really quite small, you know. Um, but they certainly trialled it this year and I don't know if they're going to try it again next year to see to, to see where that goes, but I'm all for that, honestly. The other side, I mean, one of the things I'm really interested in doing is trying to put an off-road link into Carbost. I've talked about that with the community, but I would love that, you know, where people could maybe slow down a little bit and spend a little bit more time rather than going out to Sky and kicking it out in one overnight stay, you know. Just take a bit more time. I've known Sky for a long time, you know, when there since my teens. I'm going to tell you how long ago that was. But um, it seems to me that people used to go there for a week and now they go there for a couple of days. You know? Yeah, I suppose that's the, the downside of the bridge is that it, it makes it easier to not stick around, I guess. We'll be back with Rory, Jess and Dougie shortly. But first, a short word from Sarah Jane Lang. Scottish Land and Estates Helping It Happen Awards have been running for, for seven years and the campaign has been running for a little bit longer And they still provide such an excellent opportunity for businesses and projects, organisations and individuals to highlight the the really vital contribution that they're making to the life of of rural Scotland. 
people have thankfully got past that, I suppose, real Scotland humility of, of just, you know, keeping your head below the parapet and, and, and not shouting about your, your successes. And I'm delighted that Helping It Happen is able to provide a vehicle for people to, to do that. And it's not just about the awards, it is about raising awareness of the, the contribution that, that rural businesses make um, to the environment, to communities, creating employment, creating opportunities for other. So it's a real, it's a really um, excellent opportunity to, to celebrate, but also just to, to raise awareness of, of the realities of what's happening in, in rural Scotland. So for 2023, we have two new additions to our our categories. And the first is the award for outstanding contribution to rural Scotland. And that aims to celebrate those who have spent their lives working in or or for Scotland's countryside and and their rural communities. And the, the Rural Rising Star Award. I'm sure we can all think of those people who really embody the, you know, the values and the attributes that um, turn them into to stars of, of rural Scotland. And we've also made a, a slight change to our Rural Housing Award that's now been expanded to, to rural property. Not only those who are involved in providing much needed rural housing, but also look at outstanding design and, and architecture across all property types in, in rural Scotland. Many thanks there to SLE Chief Executive Sarah-Jane Lang. Back now to the second half of today's chat with Jess, Dougie and Rory. Rory, yeah, yeah, come come to you now. They're, they're, we're, you know, we're about to talk about something completely different, but that's the beauty of these awards, that they're recognising stuff that's completely different. And, and f- for many people, the fast breeders and the whole genetic thing is probably not something that they tend to think about over their morning coffee. So um, enlighten us, if you would. Well, I started with three farmers who are like-minded and had a common problem, which was how do we get more from less? And we were all pushed pretty hard in dairy farming commercial environments. So how could we understand our cows better to see if we could find who the best ones are, basically? And then how do we, how do we breed from those cows uh, that are better? And so we get commercial, we get more milk, basically, and we get more efficient cows and we get... Um, we become more resilient in the face of challenging economic times. It's turned out into so much more. Almost the greatest benefit for us as, as a group is it's been fun, actually. It's really good fun working together. And it's, it's a, I'm very solution-focused. For me, it's about collaborating, working together with people. And so we got these farmers together and um, where it started to work with uh, SRUC and a guy in particular, a guy called Professor Mike Coffey, who's a, he's extremely good at communicating complicated stuff into farmer language or into language that you would, you, you would understand. And then we also, the people that helped us bring it together are, are SOS, Scottish Agricultural Organisation Society, which, is, which I am now vice chair of which helps people collaborate, it helps people enable solutions. The key, one of the key things that we have are what you call crossbred cows. So we don't have pedigree black and white cows. Ours are Jersey, Cross, Holstein. They're all outdoor cows. So they're, they're grazing cows, basically. And we have, I've, I've got a really big farm. I've got 1,100 cows. Uh, all these cows, these cows are out at grass, about 300 days a year. And um, within that, um, heard there's some really top performers 
and there's some really rubbish ones, just like you get in any big population. So it was understanding who they are in the first place. And we did this by, uh, by DNA testing. So we you've got the DNA and then um, uh, we took all the records on farm and we looked at their genetic potential, their DNA potential to be successful, and we looked at their records on farm to see if they were actually successful. It really then starts to drive you crazy because what you actually find that you've got lots of animals who are genetically awesome but don't perform, and then some who are genetically rubbish but are performing extremely well on your own farm, and you can get your head around that and say, how can that be? So we went into lots of debate and discussion about that kind of stuff. And now it's really important to have that environmental aspect considered. How do you, how do you get a low methane cow? And uh, it, it's possible to, to discover that through DNA, um, but it's, it's huge data sets, it's a huge amount of time, and it's, it's slow progress. Genetic progress is 1% a year. But we've got an environmental target, we've got hit by two, uh, 2050. If we make 1% every year to 2050, we will hit the environmental targets that um, government have set. Other than that, it also brought focus to us. It's making us look at every aspect of what we're doing, so we'll be, we, we become, there are all those unintended consequences of, of what we do. We find solutions for other things because we're together. We get off farm and we get, to, you know, we have fun together on the journey to the, to, you know, to the meeting about genetics, and we solve all those problems on the way. And so there's much more than just going and sorting out your cow genetics. It becomes about um, solving all sorts of farming problems and a human behavioural thing as well. But how we change the way we behave that eventually impacts on our businesses and impacts on our wider, our wider industry. So, I mean, getting the award was really important because, well, one, selfishly we were pleased to be rewarded for, for the hard work that was difficult to see the, the benefit. And two, like, like you said, uh, Jess, you've got to get it out there. And then people will start to talk about it, they'll ask more questions, and maybe more people want to become involved. And it gets us knowledge transfer, that's the key thing. We're, we're really a knowledge transfer project. What we are doing can be applied to um, lots of different breeds of cattle and sheep and sort of farming things. Has there been an impact, positive or negative, on, on animal welfare? Because I guess that's the other thing that a lot of people are asking, all types of farmers, oh, how, how well do you look after your livestock? So there's a given that we all look after our animals very well. It's a given that we in this organisation are top performers in our industry, and so that's happening. Ultimately, the deep down root thing that's going to happen here is we're actually doing this is a bit anorak, but the analysis is done on the cows and the herd rather than the males. It's all about the dam. And we find these animals that, that are tremendous performers regardless of our management. They perform within our farms. So in other words, if you breed for them, you get more robust animals who are coping in the system. And if they cope really well in the system, then ultimately their welfare is better, they're happier, and they, um, you have less illness, you have less stress, because they, they cope within the system. So it's about making robust and resilient animals, not just animals who give you lots of milk.
There's multi success is multifactored. We're not just looking for more milk. More milk is an outcome, as is better health, as is longevity. So all of these things are um, consequences of understanding your animals better. Yeah. Do we all still need to do more collectively as a group of rural people? And, and I mean that not just the, those of us chatting today, but collectively to, to help people to understand what goes on in the countryside, you know, some of the processes that happen, particularly positively, because, you know, Jess is saving sheepskins from landfill, Rory is improving uh, or reducing methane production, Doogie is ensuring that, yes, the numbers of people still come, but that actually their impact, negative impact on the land is being reduced by these measures. So, but what more do we need to do to, to get I suppose, the urban population to understand more of these intricacies. I think it's um, absolutely essential that urban populations understand the value that rural people and rural landscape brings to society. Because I think it's been or is maybe undervalued and it's um, complex, I guess, but essential that we that we can demonstrate that value well. You know, Dougie's, Dougie's getting, getting the people there. Actually, most importantly, solving a problem for the people that live there all the time. I was down in Cornwall and Padstow a few years ago now with the kids on holiday. You know, the locals move away. It's not a nice place to live. There are so many people, and I bet, that's, I bet that is a problem on Sky, and Dougie is actually helping solve that. Make it a good place for people to live and a good place for people to visit. I think the other things say, you know, good, good, good jobs, you know, and you, you, you know, you see just infrastructure there, but you know, with likes of seal skins, you've got you've got a long term kind of kind of business there, innovative, employing people. You know, we're we're employing people. Folk need a reason to stay, and I think that's sometimes I feel for Cornwall and areas like that, and I would, I would hate for Sky to go that way. It's a beautiful place. I've been there, but I do know that the the wages there are quite low, and the house prices are extremely high. And uh, I think that's quite makes it very very difficult for local folk. In terms of getting messages to, to urban folk, the only thing I would can always bang on about is that, that that you know there are costs to 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 the countryside. It's not free, you know. There are folk making a living there. Um, you know, folk, folk like Rory, you know, who, who are reliant on it for their livelihoods and for the livelihoods of the people they employ, you know. You know, from our point of view, the, the, these paths are viewed as free by a lot of folk and there's no government fund for these whatsoever. And since European funding's gone off the table, that's something we're really looking at, you know. And I think all most people are asking for, most of these people who live and work in rural areas, the priority is they just want to see people giving respect back to the countryside in exchange for their free use of it. And, and I think um, that, for me, is, is one of the most important things to, to get across. One of the projects that we've been working on a lot recently is sourcing direct from producers. So historically, we've sourced from an abattoir, you know, a middle, middleman, essentially. We're now looking at going direct to producers and farmers to source um, from them because we know the kinds of fleeces that our consumers, our customers like to buy. So to sort of ensure that we have good supply, to ensure that we know exactly where the skins are coming from, that there's good transparency of provenance for our customers, for ourselves, that we're able to answer questions on animal welfare, because that is something that comes up and what kind of life have these animals lived. And we're able to answer that really clearly now because we have good relationships with the farmers that we're working with. 
But I suppose from our perspective, as a sort of luxury end product uh, that, w- that we're selling, we're also interested in raising awareness um, so that people know what questions to ask when they're consuming. <laughs> they're asking the right sorts of questions about the background, about about you know whether it's something they're purchasing or the food that they're eating. That's a, you know a big a big separate industry on the island here as well. And I think you know the Helping It Happen Awards helped us with that because it gave us a platform again to talk about this project that we're working on, the importance of the circular economy that that's creating and, and yeah, an opportunity to, sh- to shout about that. But I think you're right in terms of spreading the word. It's, it's really key that people do come and, and understand and respect, I guess, the work that goes on in, in rural areas. Jess, what do you think, what more or how big can it get? You know, we're currently in a really tricky place with redesigning agricultural policy. Um, marginal areas for farming like Sky are going to come under serious challenge, especially funding, and I, I suspect that it will. there will be less money. Regardless of what people think, there will be less money coming into the community of Sky, but you actually are providing a solution for a part, part of the animal that would not normally generate wealth, uh, generate income. Um, but that, that link to say, right, let's, we've, got to, we've got to use the animals from Sky, we've become right, uh, but we have no infrastructure, we have no abattoir there's no way to access that and you know like Doogie's or Doogie's organization which basically took a car park turned it into a 20 million pound investment how do we get from buying something that nobody wanted which are skins of sheep to creating an economy and on sky the um, incentive for change may be getting greater because we're not going to get government support in the same way uh, as in the past. So you, you, you have, you're sitting with um, something that, be- that actually becomes hugely valuable if we can create wealth in a different way. I think so. I think it's about mindset, isn't it? And being open to the possibilities of change as well. So a lot on Sky, a lot of the animals here are store lambs. So they'll go, they won't be finished on the island. So they'll be, you know, a way for, for finishing off island. So in that sense, sourcing, so for us, sourcing skins from the island um, direct from producers is trickier because they're not necessarily holding on to their own meat. But what we do see here on Sky is, you know, local restaurants all working together with local producers, you know, so there is a, there's more incentive for them to finish their own animals here um, and see that process right through. It may be possible, of course, with the technology today that it, it's okay for those animals to leave and be finished somewhere else because that is actually part of the tradition of Sky. But what you're needing to do is track them. And with um, Scotty ID and, and all the, you know, the tagging systems we have nowadays, you can actually follow those animals. And the more um, you can get access to that, then you follow them all the way back round, all Brilliant. the way back to the sky. Brilliant. But it is there. That, and so it's just a bit of collaboration around mm-hmm. who's got the data yeah. that helps you find, uh, find those animals and where they're being finished and how they're being finished. Yeah. And just working across industries as well, so yeah. um, not just within the sort of the agricultural sector, but perhaps with the food industry as well. It's also interlinked, obviously, but with tourism as well. So, yeah, all the all the links are interesting. The awards sort of recognise such a varied sector, different you know across the different sectors. I think that's the thing, and I think you know some people might say, oh well, you know, it's 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 just a dinner. Everybody, an excuse for everybody to go along, have a few glasses of wine. 
and and enjoy themselves. But actually, yeah, you, you've got to have that pomp and circumstance to, to give people an enjoyment. But actually, there is so much more to it. You know, we've already just had conversations just in this one podcast about, you know, collaboration and potentially ways in which um, things can be improved. I'm sure Rory's got many cogs turning, for example, about, you know, what Doogie was saying about about the use of that app. And, and I do as well. I think an app like that could be put to good use within the food industry as well as when it comes to, you know, accessing rural swimming spots. You know, there's almost no end to it. And I think just the way in which people are meeting and working together and I suppose arguably most important, although not the only benefit, is you know, the variety and, and really highlighting all of the, the nuances of, of what goes on in, in, in the rural sector. Because I think, you know, too many people think it's just farmers and landowners with the odd person out walking um, and don't think about the nuances, whether that be um, making use of, of previously unwanted products or whether that be the infrastructure challenges that are being solved. And I, and I just think it's it's really heartwarming, actually. And, and so therefore, as an award, yeah, it's more than just a beautiful trophy, although that must be nice to have. Huge thanks to Rory, Jess and Doogie, and congratulations to all of them for their win in the SLE Helping It Happen Awards. Once again, we've heard about the benefits of entering and winning the awards, and hopefully that gives also gives a bit of encouragement to consider putting your own project or work forward for the 2023 awards. If you need one final push, though, here's another word, and the last for today from Sarah-Jane Lang. So the nominations are now open. People can enter online at the Scottish Land and Estates um, website. You can nominate yourselves, you can nominate other people and I'm delighted to, to say that you know nominations are are flooding in um, from from across Scotland and it's it really is great to see that um, continued um, interest in, in these awards and as I said don't be shy it, it is an, an excellent opportunity for for rural businesses to kind of wave the flag and celebrate the fantastic job that they're doing thank you again to Sarah Jane the On Farm podcast is made here by our team at Seen and Heard PR and Marketing. So do talk to us at any time if you've got questions or queries around communications, marketing or PR in your rural land or food-based business. Uh, meantime, that's me for today and we will see you next time. Mm-hmm.